The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to another episode of Making Monsters. This is episode four in the free agent mini-series uh, where we are chatting about the players that the Bears picked up in free agency. I know some people were super pumped about it. Some people, not so much. But um, personally, I think that the Bears addressed what they needed to address outside of the defensive line, which now I think, and obviously probably one other on two other spots on the offensive line. But I do think with 10 picks and three in the top 103 that they do have the opportunity to to address those there. But anyways, uh, this episode's about Travis Homer. Travis Homer is the running back from Seattle. He was drafted in round six in 2019 by the Seahawks. He's an interesting guy because he's not when you when the Bears first signed him, a lot of people were like, who? What? Why? Um, the more you read about him, the more you understand the type of player Homer is, the more you get why this move was made, especially because they also went and got Deontay Foreman. So that also addressed some other needs in the running back room. But obviously, when you are losing David Montgomery, you are losing almost a complete back. Um, he could do everything. He could receive. He could block. He could pass protect. He could pick up on some blitzes. He could obviously run the ball and get those yards after contact and all of those things. And so when you're losing him... You lost a lot of different aspects, and Khalil Herbert can make up for some of them, but Khalil Herbert struggles in some other areas, and for those areas could consider consist of pass blocking, um, picking up those blitzes. Uh, I wouldn't even consider him a great pass catcher either, which I don't think Deontay Foreman or Travis Homer are either, but luckily we actually went and got a wide receiver this year, so maybe we won't need to use our running back so much in the, in the receiving game, but... Travis Homer, he had 140 pass blocking reps in four seasons with Seattle. Only allowed 15 pressures in one sack in four seasons doing that on 140 pass blo- on 140 reps. Um, so he really excelled, as I mentioned a little bit ago, at picking up those blitzes. He really excelled on special teams, which also could help the Bears. Um, there's also just not a whole lot of tread on the tires. And if you listen to the Panthers episode, Deonta Foreman is kind of the same situation. Like these guys, we're getting guys who are – veterans and who have seen glimpses of really good at you know like certain aspects of what they excel at and they neither of them have a whole lot of tread not a whole lot of wear um so I, I think that's also a positive for the Bears obviously especially when you're looking at the running back room because that's not usually the case 
Um, anyways, we are going to talk to Greg Bell today. Greg uh, covers Seattle, the Seahawks, obviously, and has done it for a lot of years. Um, so I wanted to get a, to know Travis Homer a little bit. I personally didn't know a whole lot about him either. I did know he went to Miami, obviously living in Florida. Uh, there's a lot of Miami fans around here. So I do remember his name from uh, from being a hurricane. But let's get to know Travis Homer a little bit more with Greg Bell. All right, now I am joined by Greg Bell. He is the Seattle Seahawks beat writer for the News Tribune. Greg, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Um, obviously, the Bears had a ton of money to move, to use this offseason for the first time in a while. Uh, Ryan Poles made a ton of moves, didn't quite address some of the position groups that we wanted him to. Um, but we are here to talk to you about running back, the signing of running back Travis Homer, who is also a, a big factor in a lot of the more special teams type stuff. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I was super familiar with Travis. So I'm interested to hear a little bit what you have to say with that. He spent four years in Seattle after being drafted by them in the sixth round. Um, the Bears, obviously, they lost David Montgomery. And now this signing, uh, the Homer signing, came before they got Deontay Foreman. So I think many people may have been a little bit confused as to how you let go of a guy like David Montgomery and go get Travis Homer as the next signing for that running back group. But he was a, a running back. He was a backup running back, definitely more of a special teams guy. The way Seattle used him the last couple of years was obviously in the run game, special teams, but also in that receiving game. Is that something that you can think will transfer over when he comes to the Bears as a receiving ability? Well, hi, Taylor. Yes, thanks for having me on. Uh, he was a third down back with Seattle primarily, and you mentioned the special teams mainstay. Never was a featured runner. They really loved his pass protection, which is why they had him as a third down back so often in his four years. But he, because of how ruggedly he plays, he was often hurt. Knee, ankle, wrist. He he missed seven games in 2020 and he missed a few games in 2021 finished last season, he went on injured reserve at the end of the regular season with an ankle injury. So he never fully was healthy for a 17-game season here. But as you mentioned, even when he was healthy, he wasn't in a full running back role. They had they had a, a stable of running backs, but they never had him as a rusher in that mm. stable. He was primarily, as I said, because of his blocking and his pass-catching ability. So I would guess the Bears aren't done loading a running back. Yeah, and that's what the one two of the main things you just hit on, obviously, because of losing David Montgomery, his ability to be used in the receiving threat at certain times when it comes to the receiving threat in the backfield. But in addition to that blocking part and the Khalil Herbert, who is the next guy up, isn't quite as good when it comes to being able to pass catch or being able to block. And so losing David Montgomery, it was scary in the factor of those two things, but I guess it makes more sense of why they would bring Homer in here is because of that a blocking uh, that blocking ability. But you're saying a lot of pass protection. What about when it comes to run blocking? Was he a factor in that at all? He was. He's a rugged guy, really stockly built. He showed up at training camp. Last year, Taylor, and he looked like he gained 20 pounds and all of it was in his chest and his shoulders. He looked like a different guy. And he he wasn't he doesn't look like a slasher-type running back. He's a guy that when he has the ball, wants to run you over. Mm-hmm. And when he's in the backfield blocking, he wants to stonewall you. And so that's what the role the Seahawks put him in mostly. And Again, they had Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, and last year they had Kenneth Walker as their lead back. 
And even when they've had so many injuries, as often NFL teams do at running back, Homer really never slid into a running back early down role. And, and so his NFL experience so far would suggest it's a continuation in Chicago, third down of pass blocking and of receiving. Now, I would not discount either his special teams ability. He, he is quick enough in the open field. He's made a lot of tackles on kick return or kick coverage teams for Seattle. And he was a loss for them when he was injured and they didn't have him on kick games. Yeah, and I honestly, because obviously the Bears in Seattle faced off in the preseason this last year, and I do remember a big run by him, and our entire defense was just like falling over themselves trying to tackle this guy. So it seems like once he gets going, he's a bit harder to tackle, which is like what you want to see from a back who is doing those sort of things. But I also like what Seattle does with him, Greg, because Seattle's play calling, and this is, this goes back to like 2020, 2021, where they do a lot of creative things. And so I remember one instance, for example, he took a direct snap on a fake punt. It was a Monday night football game against the Vikings. He ran for like 29 yards and a first down on that one. Uh, once uh, I, he recovered an onside kick in 2021. So it seems like he's used in a lot of aspects as for that type of thing. How does someone, although maybe not a starter, but with the, that versatility, help a team and crucial moments when it comes to maybe converting those third downs? Well, that, of course, speaks to his athleticism and his experience of four NFL seasons on all the kick teams. I mean, he's played on special teams through the really revolutionary roles and change, rules changes in the NFL on kickoffs and kickoff coverage and how you can't have wedge blocking anymore and you can only have a certain number of players on each side of the kicker and the kickoffs. And the kicking game has just completely changed in the NFL in the last mm-hmm. three years by rule, and Homer has played through all of that. So it allows them to do the things that you're talking about. And I do remember the fake punt and the onside kicks, which Seattle rarely has done under Pete Carroll. But it speaks to the versatility and just the knowledge and experience that Homer has. He was one of their mainstays for sure on special teams. Uh, His physicality and his athleticism really shows up there. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when you are looking at a an NFL team, especially if you're a casual watcher, you're not as much paying to pay attention to the special teams plays or the special teams players, and a lot of times those names slip by. But would you say Homer is a little bit more of a rec- recognizable name for Seattle fans, or is it still kind of just that, that special teams guy? Well, you know why they know him, Taylor? It's because of his physique, honestly. Okay. Uh, how big he, how big he was. He looked like a stud. Um, <laughs> I mean, he looked like he can throw up 600 pounds. Uh, he just physically a specimen. And as a lot of running backs are, but he was so noticeably more so last year. Uh, and that's what they knew him for. He, they, they don't think it was a gigantic loss when he left in free agency. Yeah. And frankly, Seattle has gone through so many running backs. I mean, one year, a couple of years ago, they had 17 ball carriers in the season. Oh, my goodness. So they've, they've gone through so many running backs that losing Travis Homer wasn't – they weren't tearing down the space needle about that. But to your point, uh, the coaching staffs of NFLs notice the special teams guys because then you're using one guy for two or three roster spots. Yeah. And you, if you have a running back who can play on third down but also play on kickoff and kickoff return and punt and punt return and – play inside or outside as a gunner, then you don't have to keep two or three other guys and you can use those spots on other positions. And so while fans may not recognize that as important, NFL roster constructors, general managers, and coaches sure do. 
Yeah, it's funny because there's obviously, I think every year when you get to training camp or when you're watching the preseason games, when you're really, the teams are building those rosters and you see someone like Homer walk out and that's when you're just like, whoa, who is that guy? When you're talking about the size factor of it and you see guys come out on the football field and then when you kind of recognize and figure out who you, they are, you'll start to, that, that the size is what captures your attention at first. But you also mentioned the injuries um, for a bit. So is that something that cons- should concern us a little bit or was it more of those typical running back, banged up type of situations? Well, and this there, there is no position in the sport that gets hurt as much as running backs. Yeah. You probably know the average lifespan of an NFL running back is just over three seasons, the lowest of any position in the league because of the nature of the position. It's a, a head-on collision on every play. And whether you're pass protecting or carrying the ball or catching the ball and getting tackled, those collisions usually happen in the open field. And on special teams, it happens in the open field. So, I would guess no more of a concern than any other running back other than how ruggedly Homer likes to play uh, with his injury concerns. I mean, definitely Seattle was had noticed that he had not completed a full NFL season in mm-hmm. four years, which is why they let his rookie contract lapse. But that is the nature of the position, which is why I say Chicago's not done at running back. Seattle's not done at running back. And they are, they, I mean, this Seattle went through Adrian Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> a year or two ago so it's no more different than the position as itself and that's why you're going to see the bears get a couple other running backs before training camp again yeah and it's it's scary for me just because you get to obviously when you look at some of the names that you'd possibly want as running back for running back in the league obviously saquon barkley was a big one this offseason the giants ended up being able to keep him, but you knew when he hits the market, he's going to get paid a ton of money. Derrick Henry going to get paid a ton of money. And to me, it's kind of scary to dish out that sort of money before running back because of the injuries. And then also you kind of have that same mindset when it comes to drafting. So we've talked about B. John Robinson, the Texas running back. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to take him at nine because it's just, it's a little scary to put that much into a running back when you, when they are just, you feel like constantly getting hurt. And I also feel like the Bears have been really lucky to where they've kind of found the next guy each time like someone goes down and the next one comes up and you feel like you don't lose a whole lot a whole lot out of that um but I wanted to talk a little bit about Seattle in general because they're they're obviously like it's such an interesting season this last year when and when you're talking about the summertime and you're in training camp people are like wow this is not going to be very good for Seattle because Geno Smith or Drew Locke and what are these quarterbacks going to be able to do but what obviously Geno had a great season and Although things maybe fizzled a little bit at a certain point, they showed their confidence in him a little bit this offseason. So what is the confidence for you guys, for fans, everything like that in Seattle when it comes to Geno Smith? Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve. 
It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, I don't have to have any confidence in him. I just got to cover what he does. <laughs> they paid him. Yeah. They paid him $75 million, Taylor, because that shows the confidence they have in him. Yeah. He, that's more than three times what he made in his entire career, the 10 years combined before this new contract he just signed this month. Uh, now, it's only three years. They could get out of it after a year. They've hedged somewhat. It's, it's not like a Russell Wilson extension where you're five years on top of the market. Mm-hmm. Three years. Seventy-five million at his base value, with incentives on top of the heavily incentives, up to thirty million in incentives. It gives the Seahawks a lot of flexibility to go get other pieces it needs to be a championship team, and that's all on defense. Their defense subverted most of what Smith and the offense did last year, but it also Taylor keeps Seattle in play for drafting a quarterback at five. Mm-hmm. And even even if C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young go. The Seahawks want the league to know that they are in on the quarterbacks and the top ones, and Anthony Richardson, and perhaps Will Levis of Kentucky. And they're making a very conspicuous show of themselves at these Ohio State and Alabama Pro Days and posting on their own Twitter account pictures John Schneider and Pete Carroll, the GM and the coach, with C.J. Stroud in Columbus, for instance, yesterday. They're being just over the top of their interest in quarterbacks, the top ones, so that they can field any and all trade offers from quarterback needy teams. A team like Tennessee, perhaps, or Washington, or Atlanta, that is still needing quarterbacks that are drafting below Seattle. And so Geno Smith's contract allows Seattle to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And so while they have confidence in him, and they, I mean, Pete Carroll gave him the ball the first practice of the first minicamp, and it really wasn't a competition after that, yeah. because they trusted him having been here for three years. It, his contract is somewhat of a hedge. And I, if for some reason, Anthony Richardson, for instance, all 13 games of college experience was still available at five. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle would take him or at least get to the point of taking him where they trade down with a team that wants to trade up and get that guy. Yeah. I think that they're eventually draft. They got four picks in the top 52, and they're going to go on defense and edge rushers. And Will Anderson of Alabama could certainly be in play now that Carolina has traded up with the Bears to number one and will take a quarterback. But the Geno Smith contract is interesting in that it looks on the surface like a commitment, but it's a hedge. Yeah. And if he doesn't play like a Pro Bowl player in a year or so, they could have by then drafted the guy of the future here with a, a generational pick for them. They've, they've only picked this high, Taylor, twice in 27 years. Wow. That's, it's pretty crazy when you think about that. And honestly, the Bears are – they haven't had a number one overall pick since the 40s, I think it was. So it's been a really long time. I think they had three when they got Trubisky. But aside from that, I feel like they're always like just good enough to be at 8, 9, 10 or something like that. And so this year I was like, finally, we get like maybe one of the top five talents. And then they tried to nine. But uh, get a lot out of that, obviously, from the Panthers. So I just want to ask a couple more and kind of based in Seattle because, to me, one of the things that really stood out, and obviously this goes back to Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson – going to Denver, just not having a good season, and then Geno coming and doing what he did uh, in Seattle. How much credit goes to Pete Carroll when it comes to these quarterbacks? Because this could go back to USC and the quarterbacks he's had there. It is the environment that he he creates and the culture that he creates and, and how the buy-in he gets from players. I mean, Geno Smith was here for three years as a backup and agreed to re-sign last year. Uh, 
uh, he, Smith credits Carroll for keeping his career alive. He said that he could be out of the league right now if not for Carroll. Russell Wilson's career absolutely benefited from Pete Carroll, not just the off-the-field intangibles and the players first and the rah-rah and the culture, but the system that Carroll wanted to run. And he run based with play-action passes and, and turned Russell Wilson loose on his improvisation and scramble plays. And last year it was the first couple games of the year for Geno Smith, no quarterback in the league, threw the ball shorter. Mm-hmm. He was averaging five air yards per attempt through two games. They got boat race in San Francisco, and Carroll said, that's it. Let Geno <laughs> throw it. Let him throw it down the field. We'll take the gloves off. Take the shackles off of the passing game and let him throw it to D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett down the field. And he ended up one of the best long ball throwers in the league last year. He led the league in completion percentage. He breaks four team records, three of them Russell Wilson. We're passing in the season, makes his first, first Pro Bowl, and makes his first playoff start. That was Pete Carroll. Yeah. And Geno Smith, Geno Smith credits him with that. Carroll doesn't get a lot of attention west of the Mississippi River for <laughs> stuff he does year in and year out, out here. He doesn't ever get Coach of the Year consideration. But 13 years running now, in his third iteration as an NFL coach, uh, he's absolutely the best that the Seahawks have ever been their only Super Bowl championship. And players come back, and Cliff Averill's still there, and Richard Sherman has come back and has kept his house here, and mm-hmm. has been on the coaching, helping Costa Rica Woolen in the defensive backs this past year after Sherman was burning the city down when he left, and the oh, franchise yeah. down and mad. That's Pete Carroll. That's <laughs> the force of Pete Carroll and yeah. keeping these guys together. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And yeah. you talk to former and current Seahawks, and they all agree that that his personality is something that really has worked for Seattle and the Seahawks. Yeah, that's something that's really just always shined for me, especially after this last season, the way that the Russell Wilson Geno thing went. But one more for you before I let you go, Greg. Obviously, the NFC West is just such an interesting division because, as you mentioned, um, the way that Seattle is handling the quarterback situation right now, L.A., who knows what's going on with them, honestly, and what Matthew Stafford could potentially do. Same with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. 49ers, Trey Lance, I guess, is the starting quarterback. Um, so what are you seeing in the NFC West this next season? Well, San Francisco's absolutely loaded on defense. Mm-hmm. And now they get Hargreaves from, from Philadelphia on top of Bosa and Armstead and those guys. and uh, I mean, Fred Warner, they are loaded defensively. As good as they are in defense, it may not matter who plays quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they had the last pick in the draft at the start as a rookie <laughs> all the way to the NFC title game. So uh, I think it'll be Trey Lance eventually, maybe Brock Purdy versus Trey Lance at the start. But I think Trey Lance, that's why they invested the top pick in him uh, and traded up to get him. But it really won't matter with the defense they have. And until Seattle and everybody else in the division can figure out, or if San Francisco can get a boatload of injuries like they did two years ago, when they missed the playoffs, San Francisco by far has the most talent in the division, mm-hmm. and Seattle's trying to catch up to them. And Seattle, Carroll has said it, they need to get defensive players like San Francisco has, like the Rams have with Aaron Donald, that offenses have to plan and beat and try to beat. Seattle doesn't have any of those guys. And they were terrible on defense last year in the front seven. They were 30th in the league in run defense, and it was worse than that. Most of the year, they were averaging 170 yards rushing allowed per game, which was, would have been a franchise record until it improved at the end of the year. They were on the field for so long, so many third-down conversions, 
so many 39-32 type games that Geno Smith just couldn't sometimes beat them. Now they beat Detroit 48-45 in a game, and they lost the next week out to Orleans 39-32. It's just not the way to win. It's yeah. certainly not the way Pete Carroll wants to play. Arizona, to me, much like – well, Los Angeles, to me, starting over. Even though McVay has come back, their roster, they're in salary cap hell. Yeah. They haven't had any draft picks for a few years, and they mortgaged their future to win their Super Bowl, and that was their decision, and, and good on them. They got it, but here comes the pay here the next couple of years. And Arizona is largely starting over, too, with a new coaching staff, a new GM, uh, a quarterback who hasn't always been happy down there. It's, it's San Francisco with Seattle still a very distant second. Yeah, and it's interesting to look, too, at just the NFC quarterbacks compared to the AFC quarterbacks. And it's when you go down the list, it's um, quite different. Uh, so when you – yeah, but I agree with you, honestly. I think the 49ers defense is almost – I mean, pretty much unstoppable. And then even despite the quarterback, they have enough when it comes to Debo and Kittle and other factors on the offense to get enough done. Um, so it really will be interesting. But I just wanted to say thank you, Greg, so much for hopping on with me. I really appreciate it. Um, and good luck this season. Thank you, ma'am. Good right. to be on. Appreciate right. it. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks to Greg. Um, I think some interesting stuff there. Obviously, we've I've already learned in this last week or so a lot more about Travis Homer than I knew before. And I think that him being one of the better pass blocking running backs in the league are really going to help the is really going to help the Bears. Obviously, that was one of the major downfalls this last season, and there's still some questions when it comes to that offensive line. You can't address everything in one offseason, and we've said this a million times. So where you can find people to help in certain situations, do so, and that is what Ryan Poles and Iberflus are doing right now. They're finding all of the weaknesses that the Chicago Bears had last season, and they're addressing them, and maybe they're not addressing them in the way that some of you guys would like them to address them. They are. They're, they're seeing these problems and they're working on fixing it. Um, so I, I personally am really excited. Just remember, stick through. I think we have one more, one or two more episodes of this series on the free agents. And uh, TJ Edwards is next. And obviously, I'm super excited about TJ Edwards. I think the Bears fans are in general are. Um, he's from the area. He is familiar with, obviously, Cole Kmet and with Jack Sanborn. They were all Bears fans growing up, so it's, you know, this guy's really living out his dream getting to play for the Bears, and I think that does add a little extra something, which Ryan Pohl spoke on at the owner meetings, just how how cool it is to come back and play for a team you cheered for your whole life, and, and that's why they kind of find these guys. So in addition to the talent, they're looking for guys that may play even extra hard because they're coming back to a team that they they love. Um, so anyway, stay tuned for the rest of the week, and we'll have some more free agency stuff coming up for you and we are almost in April which means we are almost to the draft so then we will really start jumping into that but I'm Taylor Dahl this is another episode of Making Monsters and I'll chat with you guys next time